3: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show and for being with me all week long. I appreciate that. Uh, Fresh off Fox and Friends, as you know, getting set to host uh, the Saturday show, One Nation. Uh, Going through it now. Uh, It's going to be on at 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. That's Eastern Time. This hour, we're going to be joined by the deep thinker, Mark Thiessen, the great writer, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, He puts this war in perspective like few others. Standing by us, Senator Roger Marshall of uh, Kansas. He's going to be with us, too. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. I think nobody stopped us because we were, you know, we were targeting Gen Z and and millennials. We were targeting a younger, I think more open-minded. And and now we know, you know, as my son texted me this morning, (laughs) you know, Gen Z is 30 to 40% queerer than the other generation's mom. So Disney better get with it.
3: Really? Uh, Your son is guiding Disney policy who makes up a stat that a whole generation is more queer than ever? Gender war. No, not battle between the sexes. That's the old-fashioned stuff, Billy Jean King and Bobby Riggs. A battle between how they are being portrayed and taught in corporate America and in America's schools. Number two.
4: All the mistakes of the mainstream media, and CNN in particular, seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just he some sort of show. random yeah, coincidence or is there shoot. something else behind it? It's too bad. It's
3: time for lunch. <laughs> that was a college student, University of Chicago, Christopher Phillips, with a great question that was totally blown off by an overmatched Brian Stelter. He used his overmatch because he was using these things, facts against him. Media malice, called out in the most unlikely place. The best example of bias and suppression is now under the journalistic spotlight now, too. I am talking about the Hunter and James Biden mind-bending brazen international dicey deals that the White House just can't continue to duck.
5: Number one. What did you see in Bucha? Smart. Death. Just death.
3: More proof. Russia is a soulless, outdated military machine. Intercepts show panic among their troops in orders to kill innocents as a strategy. Meanwhile, all the Ukrainians are asking for is the right weapons to eliminate this evil empire. Why are we hesitating and dithering while deciding what to allocate? And that's how I'll start with Senator Marshall. Senator, welcome back.
0: Great to be with you. I always enjoy Brian. I always enjoy your show. Where I know it's going to be a little cerebral, so I'll put my thinking hat on here.
3: Yeah. Well, I just, I'm just so uh, I, I am. I see this as such a unique opportunity to destroy this evil. Vladimir Putin is as evil as Stalin and Hitler. I don't know why we have trouble coming to grips with that. Having said that, the Ukrainians are doing the dirty work for us. All they're asking for is weapons, weapons other than javelins, and we can't even get them 100 drones. What's going on?
0: You know, Brian, I think this is a classic example of our president saying one thing but doing another, we can talk about sanctions, we can talk about weapons. He's adding more sanctions, but hasn't implemented the ones we did previously. And all you have to do is look at the, the price of the ruble, how it's come back as well. So many of these sanctions, especially against energy, do not go into effect until June 24th. From the weapon standpoint, either this president is incompetent or he wants this war to drag on. Uh, you know, I think they came out publicly with with some of the numbers that we've sent them as far as the weapons yesterday, so we can talk a little bit more freely about it. Basically, we've got them uh, the, the anti-tank missiles and a few surface-to-air missiles. But even though they're doing well on the ground, we're not doing, they're not doing well protecting their skies, protecting the bombardment from the Navy, right. from the Russian airspace and Russian ground as well. So I don't know what the hesitancy is on this White House. They've never believed in the Ukrainian people. Uh, Tom Cotton took down the secretary of defense yesterday in a committee hearing talking about sharing intelligence with them of all things. So, again, either this president's incompetent or he wants this war to drag on. And maybe he maybe he's trying to empower uh, Putin for all we know. That certainly looks like this president's been compromised.
3: Wow. Uh, There's a lot there. You know what I'm heartened by? There's a lot of Democrats who agree with you. And you guys in the House and Senate have really pushed this issue to be stronger on sanctions. And when Europe was stronger on the Nord Stream 2 than this president, he realized he had to act. When Nancy Pelosi, of all people, said, I want to stop buying Russian oil, this White House was forced to react. When they outlasted the Russian onslaught for 72 hours, blowing up General Milley's and others' predictions, the Intel office, uh, the Intel office of CIA and others said 96 hours, they were forced to react. My hope is by pounding them, they'll be forced to react. And it's not just for Ukraine to steal the president's line. It's not hyperbole to say they're fighting for all of us. They're fighting for Poland, all the Baltic states. They actually, really, will continue to to, uh, to harass all of Eastern and Western Europe if they're allowed to uh, continue and not be hollowed out and destroyed and forced out of Ukraine. So you just talked about what Tom Cotton said yesterday. For those who missed it, listen to him it's with Secretary of Defense Austin, who seems overmatched every day. Cut eight.
6: Are you providing them intelligence to conduct such attacks?
7: We are providing them t- intelligence to conduct operations in, uh, in, in the Donbass. That's correct. In the Donbass
6: on the territory that Russia or its proxies controlled before the invasion.
7: Yeah, and we want to make
6: operas- offensive operations to reclaim their own territory. Are you providing that intelligence to us? We want to
7: make sure that's clear to our our force, and so that updated guidance is, it will, that goes out today, we'll make sure that that's uh, uh, that's clear. Updated guidance. So that means that
6: the current guidance has said don't provide that information.
7: Uh, Certainly, the current guidance was not clear in that regard, so we'll make sure it's clear.
3: Okay, I appreciate the honesty, but that is pathetic to not provide the intelligence to allow the Ukrainians to reclaim their land.
0: Yeah, Brian, this is day 44 of the war. Day 44. And the ambiguity that you're hearing in that conversation from the Secretary of Defense is the same ambiguity that our allies are hearing. When Poland wants to send MiG jets, they hear ambiguity and, and, and no clarity, no leadership. This is what leadership is doing, the right thing when it's not popular. So all of our allies in Europe a- across the world are wondering who is the United States. If we're truly the leader of the free world, when are we going to start acting like it. So there in a nutshell is this administration, uh, even the the Secretary of Defense fumbling under his own words, developing policy right as he sets in a hearing in front of Congress. Uh, Again, I go back to this, either they're incompetent or they want this war to continue, but it can't be both of them.
3: And I I salute you, uh, Senator Marshall, you hosted a roundtable with Ukrainians and Senator Ernest yeah. on the situation in Ukraine. I just got off the set with Governor Pataki last hour. He went over the humanitarian mission, went to Ukraine itself, and he's going to start building houses for these people because as the survivors you know, are free now in Kiev and the other surrounding states, they have nowhere to stay, they have nothing to eat, and now he's yeah. providing fabricated houses, and the State Department says, oh, what a good idea. We're going to get back to you today or tomorrow. There's no plan to rebuild Ukraine as they win. So I want you to hear this and tell me what you think of this. Dmitry Peskov, Vladimir Putin's spokesperson, admitted something that I'm astounded by. Cut to
5: how many troops? Yes, lost? we have we have we have significant losses of troops, and uh, it's 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 a huge tragedy for us. Uh, now about two regions, Kiev and the Chernigov regions. Uh, so actually, the troops were really withdrawn from that region as an act of a goodwill during the negotiations between two delegations, Russian and Ukrainian delegation. And it, wanted, it was an act of a goodwill just to, uh, uh, to, uh, well, to, to, to lift tension from those regions.
3: Okay. They admit, what do you think's behind them admitting they've got news losses? Because the Ukrainians said they offered back to Russia about 7,000 bodies of soldiers, and they didn't want them. So if 7,000 bodies are there, we estimate 15,000 dead, more than 10 years in their Afghanistan war. Why would he say that, Senator?
0: Yeah, you know, Brian, it's a great question. And I would just warn your listeners that Putin could teach the Clinton administration and the Obama administration how to spin things. So be careful where they're going. Uh, this remember who Putin is. He's really, uh, you know, a KGB agent. Uh, that's an expert on propaganda. He's paranoid. He's got a Napoleon syndrome going on. I, I don't. I don't have the answer for you. But what we do know, uh, again, talking to Ukrainians yesterday, the brutality, the war crimes, bodies in the street, uh, concentration camps—all those things are happening. Uh, and, and one more point for your listeners: if if, if ten or fifteen thousand soldiers have died, there's probably three times that number of casualties going back and the world we live in today those moms are calling their sons and daughters and they're not answering the phone and they know that something's wrong so i think the the president i think the putin's having some problems at home as well as we start getting the word out of who the true aggressor is here the genocide going on again our friends from ukraine that we met on our trip uh, to the border there we talked about just the genocide going on as well so let's let's stay tuned i wish i could tell you
3: yeah, okay, I, I'm going to say this. I do not believe they moved out for goodwill. I, I'm not that naive. I didn't think that it, needed to be said. Of course not. But, yeah, uh, of course okay, not. I'm going to tell How about this? These German-captured uh, intercepts, first appearing in Der Spiegel and now everywhere, show the Russian real-time communication between each other in battle, and it shows that they flat out said, kill them all, slay them all, shoot them, shoot the civilians, and one time, and you see a guy on a bike, you see his body, I sh- they said, shoot that civilian on him. He just said, I just shot a civilian on a bike. It's also clear the soldiers do not want to go into the cities. They say they're outmanned and they are surrounded. They don't want to go into villages. They keep saying they don't want to be there. But when they get there, they kill everybody. So we have to ask ourselves, and I know I'm speaking to the choir here. I'm, right. If we have somebody that knows how to fight— and is just asking for American weapons or NATO weapons, and we don't take this opportunity to crush Russia's army so maybe they can crush their obscene government, we will regret this for generations because China will rearm Russia to do their dirty work because Russia's got the economy of New York State, and I'm not exaggerating.
0: You got it. Yeah, Brian, um, Ukraine does have them on the run in the ground. We have not provided 10% of the weapons that they've asked for, just like the humanitarian aid is not getting to the people of Ukraine. It's all going at the borders. People leave them, but the real problem is humanitarian crisis within within the borders of Ukraine. we need Europe to step up, Brian. We don't want this to be a Russia versus America war. Europe has to step up. They can put a much bigger herd on them. We only import $25 billion of goods from them versus uh, European Union is 10 times that. So we need NATO to step up. We have 103,000 troops on the border there, uh, and there's only 40,000 NATO troops, which I'm having problem finding, and they won't even tell me how much of those troops are actually American troops as well. Uh, So again, I want to be clear to your listeners, I do not want boots on the ground. I don't want us American pilots in the air over Ukraine, but we could do so much more, so very much more. We need this president to stop talking, to stop having committees, to stop doing summits. We need action. Every day we wait, more Ukrainians are going to die. And by the way, there's a famine coming. Every day that we delay this war, there's going to be famine across the world, and there's the prices of groceries are going to go up in, in Kansas, across the nation. The price of gasoline is going to keep going up as well.
3: Because remember, Ukraine uh, pro, pro is able to sell grain, too, at a great rate. And keep in mind, even though it looks like Ukraine will hold on to their— if this war stops today, it looks like Ukraine has held on to their country. Not really, because what Russia will take is most of their coal, their iron, and their oil. And that it then and, and if they are if they do have to do an offensive into Odessa, and are successful, oh. that means they're landlocked. So yes, so this is just unbelievable. I, I do I do want you to see the story in the New York Post headline. It says, "Arm Ukraine right now. It's a crucial window. The world has two weeks." There's a window of opportunity for a, a week or two in which Ukraine can counterattack in the north and south and east to expel Russian forces. This will require mobile armed forces and air power. And if the window, window is lost, the future is darker and more uncertain. If Ukraine can prevail, we'll be secure its borders, expel Russia from all of Donbass, and open the way for a negotiated end to the conflict. Presumably, this could also thwart Putin's plans Uh, to take the Baltic states, Moldova and Georgia back. It would undermine China's growing belief that it might itself rearrange international boundaries. That is General Wesley Clark, who ran for president on the Democratic side. He's talking like a military guy. Is he wrong? Nope. No, Brian,
0: is spot on. So Russia's in retreat. They're trying to reorganize. They are vulnerable right now. If if the Ukrainians had some A-10s right now, this would be all over. We have A-10s that are going into retirement. They have people that could fly those A-10 warthogs. They'd be the perfect weapon. But we should have gotten there months ago. We continue to be reactive rather than proactive. Uh, again, the weapons are not getting into Ukraine for to allow them to be aggressive. And, again, thank you. This is not happening in a silo. There are ripples from this war across the world. I, I alluded to the to the famine that's coming. Uh, certainly, China is sitting there watching this. This has huge, huge implications for Taiwan. North Korea, the Iranians are sitting there looking at this. Just how many buttons can they push of Joe Biden knowing there's not going to be a response of any type? So there's absolutely world implications. This is a critical two weeks. We've got them on the run, so to speak, um, and it's, it's time to, to put the hammer down.
3: I hear you. Senator, keep fighting. Uh, and also try to get as many Democrats as possible. they really – Senator Blumenthal asked tough questions yesterday, too. I think there's a lot of people that agree with you. You've got to force the White House to do the right thing. Senator Roger Marshall, thanks so much.
0: Yeah, Brian, have a great weekend. Thank, Thank you.
3: you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Mark Thiessen in 10 minutes. You're next. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: Do you think the media
2: acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian
4: disinformation? My
1: problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is, I think, totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or I mean, I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I I didn't I don't find it to be interesting.
3: Which is, uh, as I went over yesterday, one of the craziest things ever for the editor of a major magazine called The Atlantic. Saying, and Applebaum said, I'm not interested in Hunter Biden's international deals, even though the president of the United States might be involved in those deals. And there's certainly evidence to pursue there. There's certainly reason to wonder as his brother is involved with his drug addled son. So that was just part of this University of uh, Chicago disinformation conference. And you're gonna hear later this hour from another great questioner, but here's Joe Concha breaking down why this freshman was so impressive with that question. Stelter
0: answers by saying, Everything that Phillips broached was, quote, and it bears repeating, a right-wing narrative about CNN, unquote, and he does this with a straight face? I mean, he proceeds not to address any of the points that Phillips made. Oh, by the way, here's Brian Stelter in 2020 in the Hunter Biden laptop story. We know now that this is a classic example of the right-wing media machine, unquote. So this has always been the playbook, right, Sean, with stories damaging the Democrats or the media. Blame the right-wing media. Blame Russian information. And we wonder why more and more Americans see journalists now as activists. And once that trust is broken, it's very hard to put Humpty Dumpty back together.
3: Right, uh, and you'll hear that question that led to Joe Conch's response when we come back.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: We're not going to let anything stand in the way of getting Ukrainians what they need and what we believe can be effective. So we're looking across the board right now, not only at what we've provided and continue to provide, uh, but whether there are additional
5: uh, systems that would make a difference. I'm satisfied with the dynamics of, uh, of, of our cooperation and, uh, on weapons and on, on sanctions as well. But when it comes to sanctions, to weapons, and this is the point that I made today to all uh, allies, uh, we have no doubts that in the end, Ukraine will get everything that it needs.
3: He needs weapons. And the foreign minister said that over and over again. I need weapons, weapons, weapons sitting right next to the U.S. Secretary of State. Uh, But he says, I'll give them everything we think they need. What does Tony Blinken think that they need? How fascinating is that? They're worried about Vladimir Putin losing power, I think. I want to find out what Mark Teason thinks. Former chief speechwriter for Bush, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, Mark, are we doing everything we can? Well, first
8: of all, I think it would be awesome if Vladimir Putin lost power. I think that would be a great outcome for for the world. Uh, if uh, if he do were you think to have President humiliate... Biden does? I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think. Look, here is what I think. I think that they're completely behind the curve. So you know, when this war started, before the war started they didn't think that Putin was actually going to invade. They thought that giving them weapons would be provocative. They were constantly focused on being provocative, not doing anything provocative to Putin. And so they didn't arm the Ukrainians. They didn't give them the MiG-29s when there was no contested airspace. They didn't give them all these weapons to deter the Russians. And so then they were caught by surprise when Russia actually invaded. And then if you remember, for the first two weeks of the war, we were all – I don't know about you, but millions uh, – I was waking up every morning, and the first thing I did was check to see if, if Ukraine is still standing, right? The, the, Kyiv was – everyone told us there's no chance that Kyiv could hold out. The force on force, you just look at the military capabilities on the on paper, no chance. And then five weeks later, Kyiv has won the battle of Ukraine. of, of, of uh, I mean, the, the Ukrainians have bought the, won the battle of Kyiv, Right. And so we're still in. We've still been in this mode of giving them just enough to defend themselves. Now we know they can win. They 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 they, they they've defeated the Russians in Kyiv. We we can. So we're not arming them on a scale for victory. We're arming them on a scale of you know this whole thing that Jen Psaki goes out and she says, well, we're giving them you know we we've given them more Javelin anti tank missiles enough. than there are Russian yeah. tanks. In at that you know what. Javelin anti-tank missiles aren't just used on tanks, one. Sometimes they miss. And two, Zelensky has said in an official – in their official request to the United States, we need 500 javelins a day. They've given them 2,000. So they've given them four days' supply. With, with the, they made a big deal of the Stingers. They, they gave them another 800 st- Stinger anti-aircraft missiles. Sounds awesome, right? Zelensky says, I need 500 Stingers a day. So we are not literally – and he gave a speech a week ago Saturday where he said, what is NATO – this is a quote from Zelensky – what is NATO doing? Is it being run by Russia? What are they waiting for? We need tanks, planes, anti-aircraft defense, anti-ship missiles. Our allies have these resources, but they prefer to allow them to collect dust in their warehouse." So that is yeah. the assessment of the president of Ukraine of this great, uh, great uh, arm and equipment.
3: And by the way, as they pull back uh, temporarily, uh, perhaps, and maybe according to NATO, they think they're going to come back for Kiev in the surrounding areas. They're seeing destruction that we have not seen since World War Two. And they're seeing this heartless killing of civilians that are, are not only in the way, but they're being targeted. They think they rocketed a bus station of would be refugees in Ukraine today And now we have intercepts saying that their goal was to kill as many civilians as possible. And if you get a Ukrainian troop uh, uh, member of the military, interrogate them, then kill them. Here's President Zelensky, cut one.
6: What must the world understand? We are defending the ability of a person to live in the modern world. They say we're defending Western values, and I always say, well, what are Western values? Someone who lives in the United States or Europe, do they not like children? Do they not want their children to go to university? Do they not want their grandfather to live for a 100 years? We have the same values. We are defending the right to live. I never thought this right was so costly. These are human values, so that Russia doesn't choose what we should do and how I'm using my rights. That right was given to me by God and my parents.
5: What did you see in Bucha? Death. Just death.
3: He's been brilliant. 75% approval rating around the world. Uh, he is winning the propaganda war against Vladimir Putin, who's a master at it. And Russia is actually losing this war. Mark, what is it going to take to get Biden's attention here? What am I missing?
8: Um, you're not missing anything. It's a, the, the, the president just is not – they're not – they're w- more worried about not upsetting Vladimir Putin than they are about helping Ukraine. It's just that simple. We should be giving them everything that the Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainians, everything they have. We're so terrified. You know, Biden keeps saying, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Uh, you know, we're only going to give them defensive weapons, not offensive weapons, because MIGs are offensive weapons and stingers are defensive weapons. No, they're not. The Pentagon doesn't make these distinctions. They, they, a weapon is offensive when you use it to invade a neighbor, and it's defensive when you use it to protect your country from an invader. Any weapon that Ukraine has is a defensive weapon because they're defending their country from, from an unjust aggressor.
3: So, so there- they,
8: they keep coming up with these these semantics and excuses for to not do the right thing.
3: I think they're masking. The word is that this is Joe Biden's idiotic judgment again. We gave us Afghanistan dismount. Now he's got I don't want to hear these generals telling in the after action report of how we left Ukraine a mess. Is that Yeah, I wanted to, but I have to go by what the president says. That is not good enough. Senator Blumenthal seems to be uh, understanding the significance of this fight and the need to take Russia out. Cut 11.
5: And are you alarmed that the Russians are not returning your call, that they're
7: not communicating with you? Shouldn't we be alarmed? Well, disappointed for sure, uh, but you know the the again, based upon what they've done, nothing surprises me. And and uh, but it doesn't mean that we'll stop reaching out to engage them. I think uh, I think we have to have the ability to talk uh, to the leadership.
3: Right. Uh, let's just keep calling them. I promise they'll pick up.
8: It's, uh, who cares about the Russians? I mean, seriously. Like you yeah. know, we Biden keeps saying you know well we we want to avoid World War Three. Like I'm sorry, Vladimir Putin doesn't want World War III either. He doesn't want to fight NATO. You know why? He can't beat Ukraine. How is he going (laughs) to? You know, we 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 used to in America have a two war capability, right? He doesn't have a two war capability. He doesn't have the ability to fight Ukraine and also fight NATO. So he's not going to start. He's not going to fight us. He's not going to draw us into the war. We have no there's no, we have to stop worrying about, you know, there, there's a great story when Ulysses Grant became the commander in chief of the, of, of the military, took over from McClellan. And he went into a room with all the generals of in, in, in the Union Army, and they were all all worried about what General Lee was doing. And he said to them, I want you to stop worrying about what General Lee is doing and make General Lee worried about what we're doing. And that's the same thing with Vladimir Putin. We need to stop worrying about what Vladimir Putin will do if we give the Ukrainians this or if we give the Ukrainians that and start making him worry about what we will give them. And, and, and you know, it's just we, we just have the, our heads screwed on the wrong way.
3: So a couple of things I want to bring you to the University of Chicago, where there's a couple of uh, students there really were impressive. One asking an Applebaum a question, the other one asking Brian Stelter a question. Here's this guy named uh, Christopher Phillips. And this is his question, and it might be something even Mark Thiessen would have asked. Cut 13.
4: They pushed the Russian collusion hoax. They pushed the justice Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist, and they also smeared Nick Sandman as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. Uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the, uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative? Uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media, and CNN per- in particular, seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence, or is there something else behind it?
3: It's too bad. It's time for lunch. But I understand that that is a popular right-wing narrative about CNN. I think it's important when we talk about shared reality and democracy, all these networks, all these outlets have to defend democracy. And when they screw up, admit it. So is that that answer suffice? The question was brilliant. It was brilliant.
8: And and it's not, but I mean, you know, CNN is a disgrace, but it's not just CNN. So there there was a Gallup poll find that only 7% of U.S. adults say they have a great deal of trust in the media, while 63%, not very much or none at all. In January 2021, Edelman poll, 59% of Americans believe, this is a quote, journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false or or gross exaggerations. And 59% said most news organizations are more concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than with informing the public. The, The media is in a crisis. Of competence. You know, we, 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 when we, when we look at the fact that, you know, they, they look at January 6th, right. And how many people believe the election was stolen, even though we know it was not stolen. Right. Why, you know, why do people believe that? Because there is no, there is no neutral arbiter of truth anymore who can say, here are the facts. Here's what happened in this state. Here's what happened in that state. Here's the truth. And, and people can say, okay, I see that. I see what, what, what the president is saying here, and I see how the facts are, are not quite what he says, so it wasn't stolen. Nobody believes the media anymore. They're another partisan in people's eyes, and so they hear Trump saying one thing, the media saying another thing, and they say, well, I trust Trump, and I don't trust the media, so right. I'm going to believe him. You know, The media has abdicated its response. The amazing thing about January 6th is all of our institutions held except the media, it's the one institution that failed us. Mike Pence did the right thing. Congress did the right thing. The, state, the states did the right thing. The state legislators did the right thing. The judges did the right thing. Everybody did the right thing except the media because they had so discredited themselves mm. as anti-Trump by going after him with the Russian collusion hoax and all this other stuff that people, people do not believe them anymore. And so we've lost the neutral arbiter of truth in our society.
3: So the, moving ahead to the story that went on hold for 18 months and now is uh, full-blown, right in the middle of the most stories, most networks, and most newspapers, is the Hunter Biden and now Jim yeah. Biden scandal. We have revelation after revelation, some of which have been out in books, Miranda Devine's book. Now, 150 financial transactions involving Hunter and Jim Biden have been flagged for further investigation by U.S. banks. 150,000. Hunter was acting as a consultant to a now defunct consulting firm in China. He was getting 100,000. Excuse me, James was getting 100,000. Hunter was getting 65,000 a month to consult a Chinese company. So a whistleblower came forward and got the laptop from uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, that, that famous one. His name is Jack Maxey. He's with the mm-hmm. Daily Mail. He's leaving the country because he found deleted emails on this hard drive and images that he thinks he was going to be have his either be arrested or killed if he did it here. So he's he's going to bring. Can you imagine? You know, it's on that laptop already. Can you imagine what's been deleted? This story is oh. moving fast.
8: It is moving fast. You know. You know what I find fascinating is that you're, the whole uh, kerfuffle with Clarence Thomas, right? Clarence Thomas has to recuse himself because his wife sent some text messages to Mark Meadows, right? I'm sorry. Joe Biden's son and brother are in bed with the Chinese – are on the payroll of the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army, not according to the New York Post, according to the Washington Post. They've gone through the emails, and they were on the payroll of entities linked to the PLA – and the Chinese Communist Party and earned $4.8 million. Put aside any other digging. And maybe Joe Biden should recuse himself from having anything to do with China policy or Ukraine policy. You know, the, the, the hypocrisy is just so unbelievable. The, 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 and and the, the idea that you would ignore, what, no one would be asking whether they say, well, there's no evidence that that, that, that Joe Biden made any money or was aware, aware of this or that may be true. But if if this was not Hunter Biden, but uh, let's say Donald Trump Jr., would you assume that Donald Trump didn't know anything about it? Would that be the ap- operating assumption on the part of every journalist in Amer- America? Well, let's see the Go phone back. records.
3: Let's see the transactions. Let's see exactly. the bank accounts. Let's see the demanding, taxes.
8: Demanding all the tax returns. We, mean, we need the bank records like that. No one's asking these questions about Joe Biden because the media is, again, no longer a neutral arbiter of truth. No longer right. – Uh, You know, and and it's a huge problem for us as a society to not have that anymore.
3: Here is Ron Klain on this, and then I I have to go. But I want you to hear the chief of staff for President Biden. Cut 21.
0: The president is confident that his uh, family did the right thing. But again, I want to just be really clear. These are actions by uh, Hunter and his brother. They're private matters. They don't involve the president. And they certainly are something that no one at the White House is involved in.
3: Okay, case closed. Yep, done. (laughs) Go go on. Let's move on. Yeah, coach. we're talking
8: about something else. Right. There's nothing here. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here.
3: <laughs> I, I don't know what the end game is, but uh Joe yeah, Biden. If, if Mark
8: Meadows said that on on uh, they would they would say, Oh, yeah, you're right.
3: Yeah. That's just, <laughs> they, they, believe me. I know that wouldn't be the case. Mark, thanks yep. so much. I appreciate it. Right. Mark Thiessen. Hey, when we come back, I know you have a lot to say about this. 1 866 408 7669. You listen to the Brian Me show.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I thought it was significant
0: whether they're beginning then to change the narrative slightly. Mm -hmm. And even though the terminology may not have changed... In order to continue to marshal support at home, there has to be the sense that Russia is under attack. This is a big war and so forth. So I think by saying that we're co- we're sacrificing, our brave young men are, are paying a price, but we, Russia, are under attack. They're getting ready for a larger war in Ukraine, and I think they're beginning to change the narrative a little bit. I think this is actually a significant thing. They, they can no longer deny this sh- the sheer number, but also they want to basically arouse Russian patriots. And
3: the- so what could they be up to uh, with that? Trying to arouse Russian patriotism by taking such losses on a war that they chose? I mean, that's a lot of manipulation and a lot of naivety on the part of the Russians. Gary, listening on WNDB in Daytona, Florida. Hey, Gary.
9: Hey, good morning, Brian.
0: Two two quick comments. Uh, Mark Thiessen was spot on about the armament that, that was that's needed and not there. But my I'm just as concerned about when you talk to the private um, civilians that retired from forces from around the country, that are helping, and the Kevlar vests aren't there, the helmets aren't there, boots, MREs, and they, they're wondering, you know, there's no reason for that not uh, to be overloaded into that country. And the next comment, really quick, was when you
9: briefly talked about it, if this was the Trump family with, with Hunter's problems, there'd be nine grand juries convened up and down the East Coast. And probably 50 lawyers and judges talking about it on the networks.
3: Can you believe the Atlantic editor says, I don't find the Hunter story interesting to who the next president is? Excuse me? Uh, The the president's son? Are you nuts? Bob Alinsky on national television saying that he met with Joe Biden twice and he's the big guy in the payouts? And if the Atlantic editor says, I don't find that interesting, you should just give up your job and work in a— you know, work in another occupation that you would find interesting, because if you don't find that interesting, I don't care who you vote for, Republican or Democrat, you really should not be in journalism. Thank you. Go get him. Uh, and that, of course, in Daytona, Florida, Gary's always contributing. So I just think this is this is why I know for the most part, a lot of most Americans aren't that into foreign policy. But you should know that this is coming home. And if you do not want to waste bazillions of dollars building up forces in Eastern Europe and NATO to the point where they'll build up, but means we're going to have to build up. We should be focusing on the South China Sea and China. And now that uh, Europe understands the threat and who these people are, the Russians, and the brutality in which Vladimir Putin reigns over, we've got to make sure that he is diminished. And man, keep your fingers crossed to throne. We will regret letting you it off the mat right now for years to come. Brian Kilmeade.
2: Live from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and Six, right in midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Chris Christie, also located in and around this region. And Janice Dean will be in studio. Uh, she, of course, did great work in exposing the scandalous and diabolical uh, Governor Cuomo, now trying to rehab his career. Uh, I hope he's not successful. I, I pray he isn't. Uh, it's hard to imagine a more uh, a more epic fail than Andrew Cuomo in New York during this pandemic. And we'll break it down and th- and we'll think about it then. Hopefully that'll stop. We'll talk to her about that. And Governor Chris Christie uh, out there on the political landscape, seeing another story emerge that was suppressed uh, by almost every media outlet. And that's what's happening with Hunter Biden.
1: So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. I think nobody stopped us because we were you know we were targeting gen z and, and millennials we were tar- targeting a younger i think more open-minded and and now we know you know as my son texted me this morning <laughs> you know gen z is 30 to 40 percent queer than the other generation's mom so disney better get with it
3: that's nice right uh carrie burke the president of disney general entertainment talking about her son's uh i guess scientific study gender war no not a battle between the sexes those were the good old days a battle between how they are being portrayed and taught in corporate america and in american schools
4: number two all the mistakes of the mainstream media and cnn in particular seem to magically all go in one direction are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence or is there something else behind it it's too bad it's time for lunch
3: (laughs) I'm not laughing. Media malice called out in the most unlikely place as the best example of bias and suppression is now the journalistic, spy- journalistic spotlight. I'm talking about Hunter and James Biden. Biden, their mind-bending, brazen, international, dicey deals that the White House just can't continue to duck.
1: Number one.
5: What did you see in Bucha? Smart. death. Просто smert, just death.
3: Wow. Uh, More proof. The 60 Minutes, obviously. More proof Russia is soulless, and outdated military machine. Intercepts show panic among their troops in orders to kill innocents as a strategy. Meanwhile, all the Ukrainians are asking for is the right weapons to eliminate this evil empire. Why are we hesitating and dithering while deciding what to allocate? I'm not saying we're not doing anything, but I am not saying I know anybody who feels we're doing enough. Or very few. Let's bring in Governor Chris Christie Governor, are we doing enough in Ukraine What would you do different?
9: No, we haven't done enough. We would give uh, if I were there I'd be giving them the the MIG aircraft that they have been asking for, um, more extensive weapons to be able to eliminate the Russian uh, air superiority and the, the Russian tank superiority. you know we've we haven't done nearly enough in that regard and let's remember. The Biden administration stopped selling Ukraine arms when they came into office in January of 2021. And so we put Ukraine behind the eight ball and we sent a signal of weakness to Putin and Putin acted on that signal of weakness, signal of weakness. And now we're sitting here uh, bemoaning what's happening in Ukraine, uh, but not doing nearly enough to stop it.
3: It's unbelievable that we're so close because of the Ukrainians uh, fighting ability uh, and their coordination to maybe uh, cutting the Russian empire down to size for decades. The ramifications of letting Putin keep this portion of Ukraine and then recalibrate with Chinese money and be their henchman to cause chaos throughout Europe, we're so close to making sure that doesn't happen. How do you explain that? The president doesn't seem to realize that. He's been doing this for 50 years.
9: Well, look, Robert Gates, the former Defense Secretary, put it very well um, in his book. He said that on every foreign policy issue in the last 40 years, Joe Biden has gotten it wrong, and he is keeping his streak intact. Um, Look, this is the guy who masterminded the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, Brian. We saw it right before our very eyes, leaving Americans behind, leaving Afghani allies who had helped us for decades behind to be slaughtered by the Taliban um, and now he sits by with Ukraine uh, being overrun by Russia the atrocities are awful and he doesn't do enough um, because he just simply doesn't understand foreign policy. Just because you've been around it for 50 years doesn't mean you get it and every remember Joe Biden was the guy who told Barack Obama to not you know do the uh, bin Laden invasion. I mean this guy has been wrong on every major issue you can imagine. And as I said, his streak is intact.
3: So I want you to hear Barack Obama trying to change his legacy. Remember in 2014, MRAs and blankets, we made a big deal of it. I thought that it was crazy to allow a country for the first time in 50 years to invade another and hold on to uh, land saying that they are mostly Russian-speaking people. Barack Obama was president at the time. Here's what he said. I
0: don't
10: know that the person I knew is the same as the person who is now leading this charge
6: for him to bet the farm in this way. I'm not, I would not have necessarily predicted from him five years ago.
3: Well, he leaned over and said in my second term, tell Vladimir I'll be free to do some more deals with him uh, to Medvedev. So obviously he did not interpret Putin the same way.
9: No, he didn't look. he allowed the invasion of Georgia, as you mentioned. He drew a red line in Syria and didn't enforce it. And when he didn't, what did he do? He invited the Russians in to be a part of the Middle East again. We've been working since uh, the the war in the 70s in the Middle East with Israel to keep Russia out of the Middle East, and Barack Obama just let them in. And that's where Joe Biden, you know, uh, sat and watched foreign policy conducted for eight years as vice president. So you know, we can't be surprised by any of this, Brian. This is just right. a a worse continuation of the Obama foreign policy.
3: It's Well, not only that, Iran, there's been a bunch of uh, terrorist attacks inside Israel. We are now reengaging with Iran. He's trying to jam through this Iran deal without even Democratic support or letting the Congress even vote on it. That is our arch enemy. It has all our allies utterly confused. And our chief ally, Israel, saying, don't sign this. I believe they're related. We also got our camps rocketed again a couple of days ago. It's almost anti-American foreign policy. But the other area which I want to talk about is what's going on with this Hunter Biden, James Biden investigation. Yesterday, we learned 150 financial transactions involving Hunter and Jim have been flagged for further investigation by U.S. banks. It shows a 2017 Hunter and Jim deal where Jim, as a consultant to a now-defunct Chinese company, was getting 100000 a month and— Hunter Biden, 65000 a month. Why would you be paying them to consult a Chinese company?
9: <laughs> because you want access to their brother and father, uh, the former vice president of the United States, and all of his contacts. I mean, it's really no more complicated than that. Hunter and Jim Biden have not accomplished one thing on their own. Not one. Everything has been as a derivative of the influence and the power of their father and brother Uh, Joe Biden. And so this is not hard and I think look, the the Justice Department has a fundamental decision to make here. Um, The perception of this, how can the Attorney General appointed by Joe Biden be seen as objective in investigating Hunter Biden and and James Biden? You know, I think it's probably time for um, for him to appoint an independent counsel. And you know, Brian, we heard these calls over and over and over again. Um, during the uh, during the Trump administration from Democrats, they are strangely silent now. Um, and, you know, I think it's probably time for a first special counsel.
3: Very interesting. So I, I do you have have you figured out why George Stephanopoulos now will talk about this with you on Sunday on ABC? Why the New York <laughs> well, Times? Look. Why, why is he allowing this to happen, even though he's giving very protective questions to Ron Klain? Listen to this question. You heard it live, but cut 20.
0: Uh, Neither the president or any of us at the White House have had any contact with the Justice Department about that.
8: Is the president confident Hunter Biden didn't break the law? Uh,
0: Of course the president's confident that his son didn't break the law. Uh, But most importantly, as I said, that's a matter that's going to be decided by the Justice Department, by the legal process. It's something that no one at the White House has involvement in.
3: And and you have to know that on national television, Tony Bobolinsky came out and linked him right to it, that they had two meetings face to face before and everybody knows it and that Joe Biden's linked to this, how we uh, do you believe there'll be any push to see if the president's involved? Or do you think the most media outlets stop here?
9: Well, look, I think if you, if, if the past is prologue, which it usually is, they don't want to know the answer to these questions. And that's why I was pointing out on Sunday on ABC was that, you know, the Washington Post and the New York Times and other major mainstream media networks um you know, said this could have been Russian disinformation uh, during the campaign. They didn't want to look at it. Twitter banned the New York Post for 90 from their account because they posted the story on the Hunter Biden web uh, you know, Hunter Biden laptop. And what do we find out now? The New York Post was right. Those other media outlets were wrong. And there's no protecting them now. You even saw uh Ruth Marcus who was on with me on Sunday the editorial page editor of the Washington Post say, "Hey, I'm not part of the news operation. I'm part of the editorial operation. You know, backing off from the decisions yeah. that were made by her own paper. I raised that on Sunday. Um, you know, because someone has to. Um, you know, uh, Brian, someone has to raise it. And with those two media outlets represented at that table, the Times and the Post, someone had to raise to them. How could you have been so wrong? How could you have ignored?" this story, and how could you have criticized the New York Post for having done what they did? Um, and, you know, they need to answer those questions if they want to have any credibility with the American public at all.
3: If, you, if a Republican wants to win, they've got to get to the bottom of the shadow banning that went on, sinking outlets like Fox, Breitbart, and others from even getting social media traction, and then them combine. These rivals become uh, teammates, and they combine to kill stories like that. It's, it's got to stop. And I don't know what has changed. So, I got to bring it to another area of your expertise, and that's New Jersey. They are now pushing back uh, from what Ohio, Florida, and Texas is doing that have essentially given a parental rights bill that stopped any gender identification and sex talk from K through third grade. It's laughable in any other year, but now suddenly people think you are anti-gay for not wanting your kids to talk about their gender. Well, don't worry. If you want that conversation, go to New Jersey. According to the standards, New Jersey students now, by the second grade, understand the core ideals that individuals should feel welcome and included regardless of their gender according to standards in New Jersey on education now uh, they will be talking about uh, second graders will have performance expectations naming four body parts uh, related to their gender uh, so they can get through stereotypes here's one objective the children will be able to identify at least four body parts from female and male genitalia and for students to describe why it's important for them to know the correct names for genitals are you happy that that's going on from K through third in New Jersey
9: I am not. And I think this is just an indication, a further indication of the crazy liberal policies of my successor, Phil Murphy, um, who is, you know, in the progressive movement. He's on the left of the progressive movement. Um, And this kind of stuff just should not be going on. Um, But the fact is that the individual school districts in New Jersey feel empowered by the people who are now in charge of education. Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey. And his, uh, you know, the people he's been absolutely beholden to, the teachers union and the NJEA in New Jersey, those are the people who are running the show now. And, and, and it's it's just wrong.
3: It's, it's so obviously wrong. I don't even think there's Democrats who think that this is something that's good. What Democrat wants their second grade of one coming home and talking about, you know, I feel like a girl or I feel like a boy? No, you should go out there. You got homework to do. You got sports to play. You got instruments to practice. You have you go. I mean, there's no way you should be poisoning kids' minds like this. I would think as a parent that's instinctive.
9: You would think. But there's obviously one Democrat who believes this is the right thing to do. And that's the governor of New Jersey.
3: Listen to the uh, Disney CEO or executive. Carrie Burke, talk about how Disney's got to be, after the CEO just apologized for not being more uh, sensitive to the LGBTQ community, listen to this Carrie Burke, Cut24.
1: It was very much in the brand ethos of Freeform to be the tip of the spear when it comes to inclusion. And um, and we, like you, LaToya, I mean, we jumped up and down. We celebrated that. Nobody stopped us, and and it felt... Great. And, and in part, I I think nobody stopped us because we were, um, you know, we were targeting Gen Z and and millennials, we were targeting a younger, um, I I think more open minded. um, And and now we know, you know, as my son texted me this morning, (laughs) you know, Gen Z is 30 to 40% queer than the other generation's mom. So Disney better get with it.
3: And then you got the CEO begging for forgiveness to the community. Uh, I don't know where her son got her stats from but if you're the C, if you're Disney and you're in a place like Florida this governor's not going to back off to Disney and he's not but no. does he no. what is going on with corporate America I mean wh- wh- where's this how do you remedy this
9: They are completely intimidated by this woke culture that let's let's make it let's make it clear People like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have brought to America and brought to the mainstream of American government. And I think that part of the way that these folks are going to get woken up uh, in another respect um, in terms of how much America rejects this is when we have the midterm elections, because I think this should be a major issue in the midterm elections. We should talk about as Republicans how we are. Absolutely opposed to this kind of activity and that if we're placed back in authority, that we're going to make it, make it absolutely clear to the folks in corporate America that this is not the way things should be done and and that this is not where the American people um, are. And those votes are going to indicate that come November.
3: Well, if they don't, uh, it's a different country because you're running on transgenderism and opening up the border to everybody, giving them sets of clothes, a ride anywhere and a phone. And now yeah, the you can Yeah. Do you believe this? When's the last time the government bought you a phone?
9: <laughs> I'm still waiting for my first government purchase phone.
3: Right. Uh, it comes in a little baggy, uh, along with a fresh outfit. I I assume they press it. And a lot of these NGOs, a lot of the Catholic charities, uh, they're taking the government money and they're doing all this work. That's gotta stop too. Final thought?
9: Look, final thought is this that you know you look at what Joe Biden has done. And Barack Obama said it the other day, Brian, he said they should tell their story. I hope they do. Five dollar gasoline, runaway inflation at the supermarket, woke uh, and CRT in our classrooms for our children uh, and uh, a porous border uh, and crime in the streets and atrocities in Ukraine. Let them run on that story. We will control the House and Senate and more than 30 governorships come November and send a whole new message to the United States.
3: It's just a matter there's a lot there used to be a complex thing on what how you make up a platform. Just don't do that. Uh that's yeah. your platform. Don't do that. Exactly. Right. Uh, and I haven't exactly te- right. And I don't have your political experience. Governor Chris Christie, the Mets are 1 and 0, any prediction? Yes,
9: sir. Uh, look, we're going to win the national league, East Brian. You heard it here first.
3: Hey, we Allison, would you National record League. this? Could you record this? We are recording this. He's predicting, yes. as a, a board member of the New York Mets, that they will win the National League East. Thank we you. We are going to win the National League East. You got it, Governor. Uh, thanks so much. I hope. My fingers Brian, are crossed. Have a great weekend, buddy. All right, you too. We'll watch you Sunday. Back in a moment.
9: Educating. Entertaining.
2: Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome back. Uh, just quick reminder. Uh, one nation will be on, Saturday at eight o'clock and 11 o'clock. We're going to be discussing things that, like the Hunter Biden story and how you could suppress a story that matters so much, and now is getting traction 18 months too late. And uh, talk about the BLM scandal. Or why are we not finding out why they're buying mansions instead of helping out the social causes. Brian Kilmeade.
2: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmead.
0: By now I hope you've all read my most recent note, in which I pledged to be a better ally for the LGBTQ plus community, apologize for not being the ally that you needed me to be, and committed to ensuring that our company lives up to its values. I meant every word. I know that we've got work to do, and that work starts with listening. I understand that we've made mistakes and the pain that those mistakes have caused. And I know that our silence wasn't just about the bill in Florida, but about every time an individual or institution that should have stood up for this community did not. I and the leadership team are determined to use this moment as a catalyst for more meaningful and lasting change.
3: What an embarrassment. The CEO of Disney essentially motivated to action because of what people mislabeled a parent rights bill. To be a no-gay bill. No, to tell a a, a kindergartner, first-grader, second-grader, and third-grader, play games, learn to read, learn to write. We're not going to talk about social identity. And if you put that in a bill, that means you're anti-gay? And that, because Disney didn't do much, they got some criticism, and now their criticism is they're going to challenge that bill and use their lawyers to go after it and apologize for not doing it to begin with. That's Bob Chapek. What an embarrassment. Janice Dean, not an embarrassment. Fox News <laughs> Senior me, uh, <laughs> Meteorologist, best-selling I author. I love that
10: disclaimer. Deep
3: thinker. Uh, can you believe this got to this? We have Florida, Texas, and
10: Ohio against Maryland, I guess, and New Jersey. Disney is supposed to be the funnest place on earth. I'm going there with my family You're still going to hold on. You're still going to do this? I want to. I just hope it's not in our faces. My boys just want to go and have fun and see the new Star Wars ship.
3: And remember, don't expect to say, uh, they're not going to say boys and girls. They're going to say dreamers. You okay with that? When we get older, I don't want to be called a dreamer. If I have to give up boys and girls, uh, okay. But when I get older, I don't want to be, hey, dreamer, you're next.
10: It sounds like you got your head in the clouds. It does. That's
3: not a good thing. No. Um, Unless you're a meteorologist. So listen to this. The objectives for 2nd grade lessons, having children be able to identify at least four body parts from female and male genitalia, and for students to describe why it's important for them to know the correct names for their genitals.
10: I haven't even had this conversation with my own boys.
3: I I haven't had it with myself. (laughs) Um, So what what if they came in and said, Mom, can you help me with my homework? Oh, my gosh. And then you see a sketch. And you say, is this necessary? This is an eighth-grade, ninth-grade thing in traditional. And there's no rush to do it. I, I don't understand why you would put this in kids' heads.
10: I, it's hard for me to even have this discussion with you right now. Right. I feel like I'm going to be taken away in handcuffs.
3: Right. <laughs> I, um, so here's uh, Miguel Cardona. He says we're overreacting. Uh, he said cut, – here's Cut 23. I've been in education for, for two decades. Teachers are not teaching young children
11: information the way it's being uh, exaggerated. However, students should feel that their family is, is just as legitimate as any other family. And children who are that young, who are um, maybe, I, I've had conversations with students who, um, whose parents said, at that age, I can sense that my child wanted to talk about certain things. Are we telling students not to be who they are or not to communicate when they're feeling a certain way? You know, as I said before, for a governor who hates masks, requiring students to mask who they are is unacceptable Ugh. right
3: kindergarten to third grade what a clown oh my
10: gosh yeah how terrible is kindergarten this from to third grade Yeah, kindergarten. i mean i had the conversation with matthew my oldest probably like fifth or sixth grade he was you know he wanted to know stuff so i told him but my fifth grader right now theodore mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't want to know any of that stuff oh,
3: yeah. I, he wants to be a kid.
10: He wants to be a kid.
3: Here's New Jersey. Here's a quote from New Jersey. One school district contributed sample lesson plans indicating uh, first graders could be taught they could have boy parts but feel like a girl. And as Rachel Campos-Duffy said, and I promise to move on the subject, but I knew, knew you as a parent we were interested in it. Rachel Campos-Duffy said, you know, um, I was a tomboy. She's like, mm-hmm. I was a tomboy. Would I have been uh, told wow. to have – Gender blockers, whatever they're called, uh, hormone therapy. Right. Would that have been recommended that for a fifth grader, sixth grader? And
10: there are some schools that won't tell the parents. Like they know what's going on in school. Like the little boy or the little girl comes in and dresses differently or puts yeah. makeup on. And they think it's not their priority to tell the parent what's going on. It's their job to encourage it in schools. Wrong. It's up to us as parents to decide what's good for our kids under our roof.
3: I thought so. I don't know if that's still the case. Uh, I think this is going to be the most interesting election ever. Yes,
10: it will. And that's going to be a huge topic of discussion. How about discussion?
3: the fact that if I told you, Janice, that on, Fox, on Fox News, we'd be talking about school board elections and people couldn't wait to find out the results. Right. And they act like Republicans have this plan. The Republicans have this planned. This pandemic forced parents yes. to look over the shoulder of their kids and they go, this is outrageous. Yep. And when the school board shut down the parents, the
10: parents kicked out these school board members. That's right. That's when all of this uprising happened during the pandemic. When we weren't going to work, we were at home with our children and seeing what they were learning in schools, and we got more interested in their education and what we expect out of our school districts. So I think this is important. I actually took my kids at a public school and put them in Catholic school Wow! because they didn't shut down. The Catholic schools did not shut down. I mean, maybe one or two days they made it work and more kids are going to Catholic schools because of the pandemic.
3: Right. Can you imagine being the parent of a three or four year old right now and in preschool in Manhattan? Have to wear masks. Have to wear masks.
10: Insane. It's in, I mean, it feels like we're living in an upside down world.
3: One of our producers, I won't say who and wasn't from Fox and Friends, actually, when it came across, was crying. Because they had to take their kid and tell their kid to wear a mask. And the kid was having fits, hates it, gets rashes. And there's there's no science about it. It really isn't. And by the way, it's okay for the president not to wear a mask, the vice president not to wear a mask. kiss
10: Nancy Pelosi who has COVID right now. Yeah.
3: And now you tell this third, fourth grade to go, why am I doing this again? It's
10: insane, Brian. And there are changes coming. They better be prepared. Right. Because parents are so mad right now. Parents that usually don't speak up during school board meetings are are getting, you know, the courage to do so.
3: Oh yeah. And they don't want to backlash on their kids in school. And if they don't have the wherewithal to go to a private school like I wouldn't have I, I couldn't yep. afford another hundred dollars a month to go to a Catholic school I know you know thankfully i I did, and my two said I want to go to public school and one said i what I didn't so I had the money so that was no problem, but I don't have the money. I mean who you would see what goes on if you want to go to a private school in Manhattan, how much does it cost? Isn't it hundred,
10: hundred? I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars, Some, I think. For preschool sometimes. Right, and aren't we supposed to be concerned yeah. about the kids that can't afford that yeah. stuff? Right? I thought so. Aren't Democrats supposed to be pro, like, making sure these children get the education they deserve?
3: But you know what they're doing? They're going out of the way to stop the charter schools that allow a lot of the underprivileged to shine yeah. in more strict environments. Hello, Eric Adams. Right, and also in Florida there's a huge pushback. There's a national pushback from teachers' unions against charter schools. When it was once, when Barack Obama first ran for president, charter schools were going to be the ticket for minorities out of uh, tough, uh, challenging situations.
10: And now that's suddenly changed because of a union vote. It's nuts. It is. The union leaders, uh, when it comes to the school board, it's just infuriating what they have control over.
3: All right. I want to talk about what's happening now. This must be – talk about infuriating. It's infuriating me, and I'm not directly involved, only as a New York resident. But you have Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo – so first, having lunch with prominent people mm. or dinners with prominent people, including the current mayor
10: of New York twice. City. He's twice, he's had lunch with him twice during you know a budget time in Albany while going after the lieutenant governor. He was his running
3: mate, I guess they didn't really know each other. Mm. So he's going, I mean, this guy's got 30 million dollars left, he's got nothing to do, he's got no friends. What is he up to?
10: Well, I got a little tidbit of information from a source I cannot reveal. Uh, But Frank Carone, who is the chief of staff to the mayor, Eric Adams, was apparently – is apparently involved somehow in the nursing home tragedy with Andrew Cuomo. No way. So putting two and two together, uh, the chief of staff to the mayor also attending a lunch with Andrew Cuomo – and apparently they're not talking about politics, but I, I think they're talking about what they're going to do when the nursing home investigation concludes. There are several of them right now still underway. Uh, so I think it's interesting. I think there is a reason why he's had lunch with them twice, and I don't think it's just to, like, have fun and talk about whatever sports You know team the they speculation
3: enjoyed. is? The speculation is that uh, Governor Cuomo wants to Run rattle the indif- cage of okay. Governor Hochul – Yeah. And let her know that he's out there and he's tight with the mayor and you better. Of
10: course, that's all this guy does. If I've learned anything from the last two years of being an advocate on behalf of my husband's parents who died in nursing homes because partly because of his March 25th order to put nine thousand covid positive patients in nursing homes that we still don't have the answers to. Um, But that's his M.O. I mean, he just wants to rattle cages. He doesn't care anymore. There are rumors that he's going to try to run as an independent that would crush the Democratic Party. All because of his ego.
3: Which is fine. Uh, because the only thing that's going to save this city... Lee
10: Zeldin's probably laughing his head off.
3: And did you see the latest poll with Lee Zeldin? He's up a point against Hokel, hmm? who looks totally over her head.
10: I, uh, you know, I... Listen, I had faith in Hochul. She actually had a meeting with uh, grieving families, saying that she was going to do everything she could to help us get to the bottom of what happened in nursing homes, that she wanted to really, truly give us the answers and the th- thousands of hmm. people that died... Uh, On her watch, because she was lieutenant governor, and we haven't heard a peep from her since. So does she really want to get to the bottom of what happened? No. Does she really want to be transparent? Even her her health commissioner, the new health commissioner that replaced Howard Zucker, who was – the one that also was the architect of that March 25th order. She said she doesn't want to unravel what happened two years ago. She has no desire to look back. If you're a weather person, a meteorologist, if there's a storm system that comes through like a Hurricane Sandy, you actually look at that and try to do better for the next time. Why don't they want to do that with nursing homes?
3: Well, they don't. You know what they want to do? They want to sue Donald Trump. Hmm. They're suing Donald Trump about real estate deals. They're suing him for contempt for not sitting down and doing – I guess uh, one of his depositions with his kids. He doesn't want to do any of that. So that's their battle. Their battle is of against a guy they could not do enough for to get him to invest in. Mm -hmm. They're playing political games with
10: our money. All Lee Zeldin has to do is put pictures of Kathy Hochul up with kids that are masked under four years old. Talk about the nursing homes, how they don't care, and they don't want to get to the bottom of what happened two years ago during the pandemic and thousands of lives were lost. He has a whole treasure trove of things that he can use as commercials. Right.
3: Um, You have to go to be a governor here. You have to get along with Democrats. No doubt about it. Uh, governor Pataki was able to do that, but now it's way to the left. We'll see if Lee Zeldin can uh, defy the odds and be a Republican governor like Governor Yunkin did in Virginia. If
10: there's ever a time, it's now.
3: Right. I love his ads. His ads are good. I
10: haven't seen any of them.
3: Really? What's he doing? Um, a lot of excitement. Big crowds. Talks exactly about what he would do with the Attorney General Bragg. Yeah. Talks exactly about it's cutting down on crime. It's table matters. Yeah. It's
10: schools. It's crime. It's basic things that parents want for their children.
3: Yes. And I want for myself. I want the bars open no matter what. And the what bars happens, open? I want the bars open. I want the restaurants all open. I'm also, if anybody. So you and
10: I could meet at midnight. Yes. And like. I ha- want that
3: ability. Right? And well, then just go know. into
10: work right afterwards. But that would
3: be a big mistake. Uh, because if we're up at midnight, it means we're not sleeping. And we're not going to sleep. Uh, we're supposed to be working.
10: Don't you have a pull-out couch in your office? No, that's oh, Will. Oh, no, Kane. that's Will.
3: Will Kane. Right. It's always pulled out. Uh, so, for Will Cain. <laughs> All right, so listen, we find out, we're going to come back and find out if there's more to know. Uh, Janice Janestine is here. Finishing. Is that it, or
10: am I coming back?
3: Unless you don't want to come back, I was No, I would love back.
10: that. I think this should be a weekly right. feature.
3: Excuse me one second. Allison, do you brief our guests about two segments, one segment? I mean, this, this is live radio, and she does not want to come back. No, and of now, course I, I want, want to, to make it back? a
10: weekly feature. I just said that. Right. Can we get, like, an advertiser to sponsor that?
3: Well, I don't know. You just announced it. Can you give the sales team time to get on it? <laughs> back in a moment both sides. All
2: opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: According to a recent study, 90% of Americans have a co-worker that annoys them. Yeah. <laughs> If you're in that 10% that doesn't have one, you're the annoying co-worker.
3: James Corden with a little laugh, non-political laugh. And I just think Janice Dean, being that you came all the way over here from the 20th floor.
10: 21st floor. Do you not know that? I'm on the 21st both floor. Both floors look
3: exactly alike. Mm-hmm. I could be there for two days and not realize I'm on the wrong floor. I mean, right? The same pattern, So you the have two area.
10: offices on both floors. I do.
3: Uh, I have a spiral staircase. <laughs> And what I did is, without permission, I blew open a huge hole in the floor. So I don't know. Did you hear that? It's a mini explosion. No, I but explosives. I'm sure
10: Steve Ducey wasn't happy.
3: All right. So let's find out if there's more to know. More
2: to know.
10: All right, uh, ladies first. Oh, that's very nice of you. Half of Americans aren't taking great care of their health and well-being. New research shows—no kidding—I just had about three Chick-fil-A. Can
3: you just please tell the story and stop using commentary? A
10: survey of 2,000 respondents found 53% don't consider their lifestyle healthy, and the same number don't feel capable of improving their health. I mean, I did the forecast yesterday; I was Uh, totally out of breath because I, you know, no, you ran out.
3: I mean, just running out and then talking for four straight minutes, I don't think is indicative. Some
10: people probably could. Do, I bet you you could do that without being out of breath. Do
3: me a favor. Yep. Uh, do your resting pulse from not now, uh, after the show. Okay. Take your resting pulse. Find out what it's a minute. If it's How do left, I do that? Is it uh, here? Yeah. You don't know how to find your pulse. <laughs> and then if it's if it's around between 50 and 60, you're fine. If not, go to a doctor, immediately call an ambulance. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, that story was so generic, it was barely it was, even helpful. Sorry. Do you have anything to
10: add? Mm, let's see. Regardless of their income, oh, the poll split respondents up by their current household income with results showing that those with a lower income are more likely to agree with the sentiment of those with an income between 30000 and 60000 About two-thirds don't right. feel capable. Whatever.
4: You
3: can't take up the whole segment with that boring story. <laughs> now this. Trailing in the ninth inning. D-backs designated hitter. Seth Beer. Game-winning shot. National Beer Day. Listen. Seth Beer. Fly ball. Right
6: field. It's National Beer Day. Good night, everybody. Oh, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Seth Beer wins it on opening night. What? Wow. I don't believe it. Get that man a beer. That's you amazing. Him a double. We told you Seth Beer was going to hit, and boy, did he come up with a big Ooh. one right there.
3: Three run homer to give the D-Backs a four-two. Walk-off win at the Padres Chase Field on beer day.
10: Your thoughts? What's how do you spell his last name? B-E-E-R. Blake like beer. Wow. Did he celebrate with a beer?
3: Sure he did.
10: Sure I he would. did. It. Every day. I'd like celebration. to celebrate right now. Next. You thought you were done, right? Oh, I did. A hundred and fifty-one dollar burger. The Braves are selling at concession stands. A new year, new championship comes with innovations for the Atlanta Braves. They are debuting a new menu item. At Truest Park this week, $151 for a world champions burger. That should come with a bucket of champagne and a massage.
3: Yeah, I think it's quirky. There are some food people that would actually do this.
10: What's Wagyu beef? Meat.
3: Uh, I think it's a cow that was really popular <laughs> and ends up dying a gri- grizzly death. Oh, it's Next. Terrible. Real quick. The Masters, etiquette on the Masters, this prestigious golf tournament is ridiculous. No asking for autographs, no cell phones, no cameras, no beepers, no problem. No signs, no coolers, no backpacks are tolerated. When you want to watch a game with your young child, no problem. So as long as they don't need a stroller, you're not allowed. You'll have to bring your own chair, but it can't have any armrests. And they're not allowed to scream things out like, you the man. (laughs) Uh, Mashed potatoes and that Budweiser catchphrase, dilly dilly or to the heartbreaking R.I.P. Harambe?
10: Oh, my gosh. What
3: rules? It's
10: It's terrible. It's almost worth not winning. No, exactly. That's where Tiger Woods is this year, right? Thank you for following the (laughs) biggest story in the world. He's back 14
3: months after debilitating (laughs) injury. But he can't say anything.
10: Or sit anywhere.
3: And he can't even feel bad that a gorilla died. Or R.I.P. Harambe, I think. Have Uh, a beer. I, I will. Not yet, though. You're the best. Thank you for saying that. That was not in the prompter. I have no prompter.
0: From
2: the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Shannon Bream standing by. Josh Rogan with us. Josh Rogan is, of course, the Washington Post columnist, best-selling author with an expertise in China, Russia, all our enemies, and a uh, and, an acumen for foreign policy that has him as frustrated as, as I am and maybe you are that we're not doing everything we can to make sure the Ukrainians win. And they have to win. Uh, and it is not just about Zelensky and his citizens. I see that. I Hopefully, you'll see that, Josh Rogan. We'll talk about that. And before we get to Shannon and our best-selling book, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. I think nobody stopped us because we were, you know, we were targeting Gen Z and, and millennials. We were tar- targeting a younger, I think more open-minded. And, and now we know, you know, as my son texted me this morning, <laughs> you know, Gen Z is 30 to 40% queerer than the other generation's mom. So Disney better get with it.
3: Thanks for that scientific study, son. Uh, Media malice. Uh, There you go. The gender war. No, not battle between the sexes, a battle between, I don't know, how they're being portrayed and taught in corporate America and in American schools.
4: Number two. All the mistakes of the mainstream media and CNN in particular seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence or is there something else behind it?
3: It's too bad, it's time for lunch. (laughs) No one's laughing. Media malice called out in the most unlikely place as the best example of bias and suppression is now under the journalistic spotlight. I'm talking about the Hunter and James Biden mind-bending, brazen, international dicey deals that the White House just can't continue to duck, I don't think.
1: Number one.
5: What did you see in Bucha? Smert. Death. Просто Just
7: death.
3: More proof. Russia is a soulless, outdated military machine. Intercepts show panic among their troops in orders to kill innocents as a strategy. Meanwhile, all the Ukrainians are asking for is the right weapons to eliminate this evil empire. Why are we even hesitating? Shannon Bream joins me now. Shannon covers that every single night at midnight Eastern time, nine uh, West Coast time on her show. And as well as uh, talking about her brand new best-selling book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from the Nine Biblical Families. Shannon, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Janet, of all the stories we covered, this Ukrainian story I find fascinating because they tell us a lot of times, you know, Americans don't really care about foreign policy. They get bored quick. I don't think America is bored of this story.
12: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not um, out of the conversation I think that all of us have around the water cooler with family or friends. I think – People are horrified still and stunned that this is actually happening in 2022 after the whole um, never forget and and vowing that we would never have these world wars again, and hopefully this is not, um, but even for that region, it's overwhelming. And I think there was another critical turning point last weekend when Bucha and all of those images started to come out. I think that people… Um, it, it's so shocking to the conscience. I think that people cannot believe this is actually happening today.
3: Right, uh, and it's still winnable now. And once again, we're seeing a slower-moving Afghanistan if we allow the right weapons not to get there and aid not to arrive there. And yet it's hard to know, Shannon, covering this story, because it, the whole country is a war zone where civilians mm-hmm. are the targets. You know what happened hours ago? A bunch of refugees at a train station, were just targeted and blown up 30 plus dead.
12: Yeah, I mean, Putin plays dirty. I mean, he he is, you know, there, there's been this conversation about this international norm of the rule of law and, and playing by the things that we agree to Geneva Convention and all of these things that the world has pledged that they would abide by. And it seems like Putin has no uh, qualms about going for the jugular and doing the very worst. If these atrocities are attributed to the, the Russian soldiers, and I know there are multiple investigations underway, we know what it looks like at first blush, and it's it's something that um, you can't even stomach that people's lives and, and children and women and men would be treated this way. Um, and as you said, targeting people, we've seen this repeatedly, who are trying to be in those humanitarian corridors, an escape to safety. I mean, that's, that's a basic tenet of war that the sides could agree to that, that civilians get out of harm's way. And that has definitely not been the case here.
3: Right. Um, here's what Senator Cotton asked yesterday in front of when Secretary Austin went in front of the Armed Services Committee cut 12.
6: Do you want Ukraine to win or do you want this war merely to end?
7: I think uh, the chairman uh, pointed out uh, very accurately what uh, what a desired end state would be: Ukraine maintains its sovereignty uh, and its ability to protect uh, its its uh, its country, defend itself. Uh, it maintains its government. Uh, Russia is uh, is weakened militarily, and uh, Russia, from a geopolitical standpoint, uh, has uh, has you know is a, is a pariah, and uh, and you know countries will not uh, will not volunteer to uh, to align itself with Russia. Uh, some of that will happen, but it, we can see those kind of things beginning to happen.
3: Why can't he answer anything crisply? Why is he always hiding something? I don't want to hear any postgame uh, scrutiny uh, where he talks about, well, I wanted for them to win, but the president wouldn't support me. I wanted to win, but I could not get uh, uh, the National Security Council to back me on that. I don't want to hear people covering themselves on decisions that they refuse to make now and make public.
12: Well, but don't you feel like that's sort of a theme of a number of people within this administration and that their communications are not always clear, as you said, and crisp and defined. And a lot of times it seems like even within the administration, there's mixed messaging. Uh, They're not on the same page. They don't have the same talking points. And I think in something like this, where the president has made a a few off-the-cuff, we think they're off-the-cuff and not scripted remarks about Ukraine that are potentially very dangerous. (laughs) Um, and it seems like there needs to be a more disciplined communication strategy, which, you know, has to come from the top. Um, but we often see within this administration that not everybody's on the same page when they need to be on such a critical issue.
3: I would think so. The other uh, major issue is what's going on at the border, Title 42. I'm always struck when something's bipartisan outrage, the Iranian deal, I see many Democrats say, I better have a chance to vote on this and I will vote down on it, which is imminent. And now they're saying when it comes to the border, getting rid of Title 42 is not acceptable. It's not smart. You have Senator Hassan. Uh, you have Senator Manchin, of course. You have Senator Cinema, Senator Kelly, and other prominent House members signing a letter saying, do not let this Title 42 go. We'll have 18,000 refugees a day as opposed to seven in Texas alone. We don't have the numbers. Do you see something happening here?
12: I do. I think that you um when as you said when you look around and see that there are um bipartisan beads on anything it is something that that gives you pause. Um, we're going to have Julio Rosas down there at the border who's done excellent reporting uh, to talk about the real impact of Title 42, the fact that it's never slowed down, even if you're not hearing about it in the headlines. You know, We've got teams down there and Bill Malujan covering it. Um, so it's never stopped, and we're going to try to explain to people what Title 42 actually is, what it did, and what the impact will be of lifting it. And um, as you said, to have a number of Democrats out there talking about the fact that it is um, – it is something they think is a foolish maneuver. It's not wise. You've got to stop and listen, although you remember how many had, um, Democratic congressmen and, and different people within Texas talk about these issues, including Congressman Henry Cuellar, um, and speaking out against their own administration, saying, you guys don't understand the reality of what's happening down here. And you're starting to hear more of that again.
3: I, I would hope so. Here's Tom Holman, Cut33.
0: THIS IS THE FIRST ADMINISTRATION IN HISTORY OF THIS NATION WHO CAME INTO OFFICE AND unsecured THE BORDER. I WORKED FOR SIX PRESIDENTS STARTING WITH RONALD REAGAN. EVERY ONE, INCLUDING CLINTON OBAMA, WANTED TO DO SOMETHING TO SECURE THE BORDER. PRESIDENT BIDEN CAME IN AND unsecured THE BORDER. AND LOOK AT ALL THE DEATHS he's CAUSED. I WANT TO SAY ONE MORE THING. LAST MONTH, BECAUSE OF THE CRISIS ON THE BORDER RIGHT NOW, BORDER PATROLS CATCHING ABOUT 8,000 A DAY. AND WHAT HAPPENED? THEY'RE SO OVERWHELMED, 67,000 crossed the border and got away. They weren't fingerprinted, they weren't photographed, no biographic information, no, no vetting was done. 60,000 people entered this country, got away. Who the hell are they? That should scare every American.
3: And, and it's going to get worse. They get phones and they get these NGOs. As somebody who, who um, is a great Christian, are you disturbed at all about these NGOs, one of being uh, the Catholic Charities. Playing such a prominent role in this illegal immigrant process?
12: I think it's so difficult, especially for people of faith, because we're called to care for people, um, especially those who are in desperate need, and to have compassion, just as has been shown to us. The question you have to ask then, is it compassionate to encourage people to come to the border where they're going to be exploited by cartels? It is a physically dangerous journey. Um, There are people who end up in trafficking and in um, basically slavery. Um, And that's if they survive. I mean, some of these people are in such precarious conditions. We've seen the overloaded trucks and the dangerous desert areas where they're going to potentially be attacked. I mean, we have to think about whether it's compassionate to encourage that journey because we know for so many people it is a dangerous one. But we've got to figure something out at the border, whether it's Democrats or Republicans in charge of Congress or the White House. They've never seemed to be able to get it together to get on the same page, whether it's getting through the backlogs of immigration courts, more judges, whatever we need to do. There are real people and real lives caught in the middle of this thing, and our lawmakers don't seem to have the stomach for getting something done.
3: So, Shannon, I believe you have two books on the bestseller list now, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak and Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families, right?
12: I mean, I, yes, it's is that it's amazing, surprising, but yes, yes, it is kind of weird, but uh, in a, the best possible way. And our listeners and our viewers um, have been really supportive of these books. And uh, the whole idea is to send out a message of faith and encouragement and hope, and to draw people closer to God. And um, you know, you know, the New York Times loves having two books about <laughs> the Bible by Fox on the list at the same time.
3: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're probably saying, "Oh my God, how did this happen? Uh, why couldn't we, we work with those algorithms?" It. Uh, and right. and do you think this would be something, even though uh, for traditionally Easter isn't a time for gift exchanges, do you think this is the time we should change that policy and, get, sure. and buy and this book and give this as you a gift?
12: Mother's Day coming, too. Yeah, Mother's Day and Easter, I think. Um, it's all about faith and the hope that comes from that, which I think is the full message of Easter. So I think it's a great thing to share. Um, and it's got stories about the Easter, the original Easter story. Um, And all kinds of other things that I think would um, lift spirits and encourage people that even as the world seems so fallen and so full of evil, there is good there. And I believe that good ultimately triumphs over evil. And that's the message of the book.
3: And and there's huge pushback against Greg Gutfeld's decision to call you evil. (laughs) Listen,
12: I embrace it because if people can, you know, even think twice about just how evil I am, a sinner saved by grace, maybe it would make them reflect on their own evilness.
3: Wow, what a way to spin it. You're a great spinner. Shannon Bream, Fox News legal analyst, <laughs> a best-selling author at the same time, The Mother and Daughters of the Bible Speak, and Lessons on Faith from Non-Biblical Families. Uh, is there a special on this, Shannon?
12: There is. And, you know, we've put off on airing it just because we're so sensitive right now to the extended coverage we need to be doing on the war. But eventually, I think we'll find a place for it. And, um, you know, Ainsley's a part of it. And Rachel Campos Duffy and so many other fun people that you know and love, along with their mothers and daughters. So, yeah, it'll be out there. And then it's uh, on Fox Nation as well.
3: All right. Uh, Two Fox and Friends anchors who I've met before. They seem very Mm -hmm. nice, as you do. Uh, Shannon, thanks. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. 1-866-408-7669. I'll be back to take your calls. Josh Rogan next.
2: Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Well, uh, 1-866-408-7669. So, as you know, um, I'm actually going to be on Cudlow on today at 4. And am I going to be on uh, America's Newsroom? I am at, at around 2 o'clock. America Reports. America Reports. And then... I'll be on of course Saturday at at eight, repeated at eleven with one nation. Got a huge show coming your way. I think you're really gonna love it. Go out of our way to give you something different. Scott listening on KCRS in Midland, Texas. I've been there. Hey Scott.
0: Yes, hello, Brian. How's it going?
3: Great. What's on your mind?
0: Well, it's it's about the Ukrainian air superiority. You know, if they don't supply the, the Ukrainians with NIGs and the other uh, aircraft that they need, then it becomes a battle of attrition. Just wanted to get your thoughts.
3: Um, the attrition is, at first I thought if there was going to be a battle of attrition that Ukrainians would lose. Now, I find out from Brett Velikovich and others, been confirmed elsewhere, that the Russians are so desperate for forces, they're using Mongolians, Chechnyans, and Syrians, as well as calling in everybody in the Wagner group. My goodness. So they're forced into one area. They lose between seven and 17,000 troops, countless tanks, and now they're backed up to their own border. I thought they'd have more. They have conscripts from April 1st, but they're not close to fighting. I mean, the guys that they had in there already weren't close to ready to fight. So I am not sure. I heard they are looking for 60-year-olds now to play a supporting role in the Army. I think— that it would be harder for them to survive than I thought. But the thing to their advantage is, Scott, is they don't have a conscience and a soul. They have no problem shooting a 60-year-old in the head, murdering a mayor and their family, burying children alive. Uh, actually, we got intercepts of them saying they're shooting for civilians because they can't actually find and conquer Ukrainian military. So that, hey. that worries me.
0: And that's exactly my thought. If you don't allow an army air superiority, then you hamstring them and you reduce the battle to attrition. And uh, and I think that's that that's one of the reasons why you're seeing all of these atrocities.
3: True. Uh, thanks so much for the call. General Jack Keane. joined me this morning and he was uh, on he's on the same page as I am. And with all his decades of experience, sees this as an opportunity not just for Ukraine, but for NATO. Listen, cut seven.
7: What better way to protect NATO from a future Russian encroachment or invasion than to destroy the Russian army in Ukraine? That is in NATO's interest. Give these guys everything that they need and destroy this Russian force right now, which is so vulnerable.
3: Yeah, uh, and what they do is if they just listen to him. He would actually know, he will tell you what weapons they actually need as the S 300 systems, it's these harpoons to take out these ships. They blew up a, another ship yesterday, a Ukrainian ship. They do not have that many. And what they was explained to me, too, from people in the Air Force, yeah, they do have MiGs, and they're not using all of them. One of the reasons is they don't have a lot of spare parts, and number two is they got to pick their spots because they don't have a ton of fuel. So if they could get these MiGs along with some fuel and be able to rotate some of these fighter jets in, it is game on. Yeah, Russians have superior jets, but right now they don't have enough to compete with them. So that's going to be key. I'm going to bring this up to Josh Rogan, who's wrote a series of columns. So far, from what you've seen... From what the Ukraine has done, do you think China is less or more likely to invade Taiwan? I think less, but I will say this. We have a window now to get those, those, those anti-missile defense weapons in, the virgins of the patriots, a more modern version. All this stuff has got to go into Taiwan. I don't care if, the, if China finds it provocative. All of it has got to go into Taiwan. And at the same time, we have to hold Europe... To their pledge in Finland, Sweden, Germany, France, all got up to now 3% of their GDP on defense. So we make sure Russians slain and we're ready to go should the successor uh, or should a uh, wounded Vladimir Putin get belligerent again.
2: Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
5: How many troops? Yes, have lost? we have, we have, we have significant losses of troops, and uh, it's 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 a huge tragedy for us. Uh, now about two regions, Kiev and the Chernigov regions. Uh, so actually, the troops were really withdrawn from that region as an act of a goodwill. During the negotiations between two delegations, Russian and Ukrainian delegation, and it, wanted, it was an act of a goodwill just to uh, uh, to uh, well to 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 lift tension from those
3: regions. That was uh, the spokesperson for Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin, uh, Peskov, talking about losses, actual losses the Russians have suffered. Don't think for a second or believe him for a moment that they moved out of the capital. A state of goodwill. Uh, Peshkov did that, and the Russians left there because they were losing, and they could no longer uh, supply uh, those, those supply lines. Joining us now is uh, Josh Rogan. He is the author of Chaos Under Heaven, and he's also uh, – his recent article is about the Russian atrocities, which we all are horrified by. Josh, would it, why would Peskov come out and say that, admit that they've had this type of losses?
11: I think you're absolutely right, Brian. This was not an act of goodwill. They were getting their butts kicked, and they had to regroup. And Peskov will admit only what he has to admit and then explain it any way he wants to with no connection to the reality on the ground. But what we're seeing actually is the Russians not withdrawing but preparing for phase two, and they're regrouping for a purpose, and that purpose is to wage even worse attacks in other parts of the country. And we saw what happened When they withdrew, they left evidence of mass atrocities, men, women and children killed uh, for no reason. And uh, you can imagine that that's going on in other places in Ukraine
3: as well. And this is backed up by the intercepts the Germans been able to pick up that shows that the morale is is uh, really down, that they were targeting civilians. That was their goal. And there if you capture a Ukrainian soldier, you interrogate and then kill them. So they're playing by old school war rules. And this is pl- every, every bit every bit as horrific as you could imagine Hitler or Stalin doing.
11: They're playing by no rule, rules at all. And this is the way that Russia wages war. And this is what we saw in Grozny and Aleppo and now in the suburbs of Kiev. And uh, what that means is that the longer this goes on, the more innocent people will be tortured and killed. And what that should tell us, in my view at least, is that we need to shorten the war by giving the Ukrainians the weapons that they need to— push the Russians out and win and that's been the problem in my view this whole time and we've talked about this lots of times why are we not giving them the things that they need to win the war and how many Buchas and Erpians uh, and Mariupols are we going to have to cry over before we give them the weapons they need to win the war. And why aren't we doing that right
3: now? And, and that was, Exactly. We never talk about winning. We talked about that the last time you were on. And I would, I would add this to it. I mean, I think Congress is actually more aggressive than the White House. And the word is, it is Joe Biden specifically that stopped those MiGs from being delivered weeks ago. So it was, again, he's got the instincts that should, are the exact inverse of what you should be doing.
11: Right. Well, to be fair, they're, they are giving the Ukrainians a lot of weapons, but they're not giving them the ones that they really need to win. They're giving them the ones they need to survive, and surviving is better than not surviving, but winning is the only thing that's going to stop this thing from spilling over into NATO. And if you're really worried about World, world War III, then best thing to do is to defeat Putin now. In Ukraine, where there's 44 million people who want to fight them, they don't even want our troops. they got plenty of people willing to fight Russians. They just need body armor and helmets and guns and anti-aircraft systems and a- air defense systems. How about some anti-ship missiles? Why are there dozens of Russian ships just sitting there in the Black Sea waiting to land thousands of Russian troops to kill more Ukrainians when you know the technology exists to protect uh, the shores and we just won't give it to them? It's pretty atrocious when you think about it. And it has to be the president himself. He's the one— Who would have to make all of these decisions? And Joe Biden knows this issue. And uh, uh, my contention has always been that he's uh, dragging his feet, and for out of a fear of escalation that you know exists really only in his mind. And for Putin, escalating is what he's going to do anyway. So uh, I think that's been a terrible uh, pattern. And. The good news is it's not too late. It's too little, but it's not too late, Brian. We could, they, they're still fighting. It looks like we're going to have phase two of this thing, and we need to change our behavior, and we need to realize that we're not fighting to withdraw here. At least the Ukrainians are not. They're fighting to win. Uh, they're fighting to push the Russians out, and we need to help them do that.
3: I thought so, uh, but it just doesn't seem with their commitments there. So at the very least, get out of the way and let the missile defense system from Britain go through. uh, Provide the Patriot missiles for Bulgaria so they can provide their S-300s and put them in. They're bragging, and I'm watching these demonstrations of these new drones. Congratulations. You promised them three weeks ago. You tell me you only have 100, and they haven't arrived yet. So we right. don't know. It's hard to get to actual reporting about what's getting in. They want to keep it secret. I understand that. But listen to this. Secretary of Defense Austin, I never feel better after hearing him speak. Uh, cut eight. Are
7: you providing
3: them intelligence to conduct such attacks?
7: We are providing them t- intelligence to conduct operations in, uh, in, in the Donbass. That's correct.
6: In the Donbass, on the territory that Russia or its proxies controlled before the invasion?
7: Yeah, and we offensive, want to
6: make operation, offensive operations to reclaim their own territory. Are you providing that intelligence to We them? want to
7: make sure that's clear to our, our force. And so that updated guidance is, it will, that goes out today, we'll make sure that that's, uh, uh, that's clear. Updated guidance. So that means that the current guidance has said don't provide that information. Well, certainly the current guidance was not clear in that regard, so we'll make sure it's clear.
3: You know, Josh, at what wow. point do generals have to be generals? I mean, and just say, listen, I, I have to command. If I if I can't command, if I, if I can't be able to give orders and execute, I can't wait for the president to tell me what is their land and what isn't their land.
11: Right. But what Tom Cotton's getting at here uh, is really important because what they're trying to point out is that the U.S. intelligence community is only allowed to share, at least until yesterday, was only allowed to share information with the Ukrainians as long as it wasn't going to be used to attack Russians on land that wasn't under their control, which is crazy. Why wouldn't, that's where they have to attack them, that's where they are. And, you know, the Ukrainian foreign minister said yesterday, he said, we don't need just defense, we need offense. We want to take back the lands that were stolen from us. They're not playing for a draw. They want to re- reestablish their borders, which is their right. And and that's the only way this thing is ever going to end. So, the just the fact that Lloyd Austin said today we're going to it's it, what is it day 48 yes. of the war and this is what drives the Ukrainians crazy and, and and you talk to Ukrainian officials they always say the same thing they said if your intelligence was so good and you knew that all of this was going to happen where was all this stuff six months ago? You told us this was going to... Why do you think we didn't believe you that you said this was going to happen? Because you wouldn't give us any of this stuff. And now they're trying to speed it in, and sure, they're scrambling. And I know a lot of people in the Biden administration were working 24-7 to scramble to fix all of this stuff, and those are good people trying to do it. But it's 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 crazy to think that at every stage of this thing, we're reacting. Putin is setting the narrative. Then he threatens us with nuclear war, and we back down. And then the NSC has some sort of... Uh, meeting about, oh, well, we can give them intelligence for this patch of grass, but not that patch of grass. And for the Ukrainians, that's crazy and ridiculous. And they're just saying, listen, We're either going to win this thing or we're going to lose this thing. If we lose, it's not good for us, but it's also not good for you. And I think that's right.
3: Two more big topics that you wrote about. One of which, Josh, I cannot believe Israel is still straddling the line. They have to decide if they're for the West or for Russia. I understand it's to their advantage to have a deal with Russia when it comes to what's happening in Syria. I understand that. And, you know, but to me, this is good. This is good and evil. Right. What is what is Israel? What's the problem here? Is it all about the new leader, Bennett?
11: Yeah, you know, I'm I've always been a supporter of Israel, and and I uh, think that the cold calculation of the current government is just that we're a small country, we can't afford to get in the middle of this. And uh, the Israeli officials tell me all the time, like, well, we need to uh, kill Iranians in Syria, we need Russia's help for that. I get all that, but then I interviewed this guy named Natan Sharonsky, who is an Israeli uh, politician, human rights activist, spent nine years in a Soviet gulag, you know, for for, for standing up for human rights and free speech. And he was like, yeah, all of that doesn't matter if democracy loses to autocracy. All of that doesn't matter if the basic idea of building a world based on human rights and democracy and freedom and free speech and freedom of the press and freedom of religion, if that doesn't exist, well, then all of those... cold calculations of realist politique go out the window so we should just help the ukrainians now i agree with that i think you know israel has a reason to to be concerned about making these decisions but at this point mass atrocities i mean if that doesn't get you on the side of right on the side of ukraine on the side of on this side of history which I contend we'll be at the winning side of history. What would? What would What would get them there? And that's the question I asked in my column today. The
3: 2015 Iran deal is being reinvigorated, and right now even Democrats are scrambling to at least have a vote on whether to approve it, even though it's never going to get passed with two-thirds of Senate and be a treaty. And uh, you point out that Russia is leading the charge. We're not even in the room. So Russia is going to be taking the nuclear... Uh, uh, the 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 enriched uranium out of their country to make sure that Iran quote, air quotes does not get a nuclear weapon, and they're getting paid millions of do- billions of dollars to do this. And should another administration waltz in there and say, "I don't like this deal, I'm tearing it up like Trump did," the Russians would bring back the enriched uranium to the Iranians.
11: Right, right. Well, I mean, it's grotesque in the sense that we're trusting the Russians at this moment in time. We're even talk what to they them. did. What happened when we trusted them with Assad's chemical weapons? Well, they threatened to use them in Ukraine. So, how did that work out? But what's really grotesque is that, you know, the this idea that we can't recognize that Russia, Syria, Iran, China, North Korea, this is an axis, okay? This is a group of evil, murderous autocracies run by psychopaths, okay? And we have to Realize that they're all working together, and they're working together against us, against the free democracies. Okay, that's our team. That's their team. So – this the Obama administration was so invested in this Iran deal that the Biden administration was all the exact same people they're still invested in it, and they're willing to ignore all of the realities of what's changed in the last eight years uh, since they first signed this thing and you know they're going to bend over back you could be sure they're going to bend over backwards to make sure Congress never gets a say in this, and they'll do whatever they're going to do, and the consequences are going to be what they are but it's just a a a, huge, a perfect example of sort of biting off your nose to to spite your face because what, are, what what benefit is that going to do? Iran's not going to stick to the deal. Russia's not going to hold up their end. And we're going to be making sacrifices that are going to put money and dangerous technology into the hands of psychopathic totalitarian dictators. And Seems it's like, like a bad idea to
3: me. And by the way, very unpopular. Uh, and a lot of these uh, sure. senators want to win re-election. It's unpopular with the American people, and it's unpopular in the Middle East. The reason why the Abraham courts took root is because they saw America working for with them against Iran, who happens to be their con- common enemy. It doesn't mean we love Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Oman. It doesn't mean we love their setup on government. But they re- recognized the existence of Israel. Trade was beginning to set up. The Abraham, were taking root, and now not only do you abandon essentially abandon them, but you go to their arch enemy Iran, try to make a deal uh, that is a worse deal now, and then ask the Saudis to pump more and the UAE to give more natural gas over to Germany and others, and they say no. I mean, at one point they weren't even taking our calls. Can people see the link here? This is like an anti-American foreign policy.
11: Yeah, no, I I, I think that you know it, if if you're it, it that your policy has to be pretty bad that the arabs and the israelis join to oppose it okay because they don't join <laughs> together in a lot of things so if the israelis and all the gulf arabs are like the one thing we can agree on in this crazy world is that we're against the u.s policy in the region well that should be something now you know I, again it's complicated you know abraham accords the biden administration wouldn't even utter the phrase for a year now they're like oh it's great you know so uh you know, the 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 bottom line is that the world is changing fast and you know this this whole Russia Ukraine war is going to have spillover effects and how all of our relationships with our allies and uh, even our adversaries adjust is really important, not just today, but for the next 20 years. We've got to be thinking about that. And maybe the Biden administration should spend less time going to Venezuela and more time working on countries that are actually share our values and interests like Israel, India, Turkey, or a little bit closer at least.
3: Exactly. And
11: maybe that would be the best way to set up this new world order is with the people who believe in the things that we believe in and people who want to live in a world that we want to live in because that's under a real threat. Not just in Ukraine, but also in Taiwan, and lots of lots and lots of other places. So
3: you have another expertise in China. Real quick, how does China? Uh, how has China changed and um, in, in the last 40 days benefited or not benefited from this war?
11: You know, China will always do what's in China's interest over anything else. But you know, the thing about China right now is they're in a really tough spot, and that's why they're try- trying to play nice with us. That's why they're pretending. Uh, that they're not supporting Putin. Well, actually, supporting Putin. Otherwise, they would just be proud of it. And they're, they're, they've got this crazy zero COVID policy. They got half the city of Shanghai locked down 24 7. It's nuts. Okay. And, you know, you thought Fauci was bad. You, know, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay. Yeah. When you get to China, that's real, you know, uh, lockdown mania. So, anyway, the point is that. We could use this time to realize that as long as China's on its back foot, we could advance our fight against them as well, because that's actually the more important long-term fight. Or we could fall into this false... Trap idea of oh China might be a gettable on this thing or maybe they could even neg- help negotiate it which is nonsense because in the end Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are best friends they're 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 thick as thieves okay and they're that's not never ever going to change and what we need to do is take this time in my view where China is is on its back foot uh, to push them over okay and to make sure that if we're really competing with China then let's do that and we can't stop doing that just because we have to help Ukraine beat russia which we also have to do at the same time
3: right um we have to find a way to let them prevail and be able to get the 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 western europe powers the nato uh powers to put three percent of their gdp to defend themselves and then we could start pivoting over to uh, to really take on china in many aspects josh uh, uh, a dynamic time you and i could settle the world if we could just gain power (laughs) and win an election it's a deal. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. We'll decide who's, the, who's on the top of the ticket. We'll do that in the break. <laughs> Thanks, Josh Rogan. I appreciate it. Back in a moment.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: Lots of treatments, lots of ice, lots of ice baths. You know, basically freezing myself to death. And, you know, that's just part of the deal. Getting all the swelling out as best we possibly can and then getting it mobile and then warmed up, activated and explosive for the next day. You know, most sports, if you're not feeling very good, um, you get a teammate to pass it off to and they they can kind of shelter the the load. In football, you you know, one day a week. Here we got four straight days and um, there's no one going to shoulder the load besides me and uh, I got to figure out a way to do it. And my team's been incredible at getting me into this position so that I can compete and I'll, I'll take it from there. I, I know how to play. I just got to get out there where I, I can play.
3: And that is, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, just the fact that he played was one uh, one under par at the Masters, unbelievable. And the thing is about his injury, he was supposed to lose that lower leg. He didn't. He was able to uh, walk on it for a while. Then you couldn't really see him walk. You could see him hit with his son on his father-son match. Uh, but he was getting a cart and go. So no problem. So if he could use a cart, it would be no problem. But he can't. And all of a sudden, last week he appears. He does two eighteen 18-round. He plays two uh, 18 holes uh, for two straight rounds and then let this week he played he said thursday it's uh, uh, wednesday i'll play for sure and now he completed one round and if he plays just solid he makes the cut gives a chance to play thursday uh, friday saturday and sunday which is an amazing feat and keep in mind that he has a shot at jack Nicholas's records it's always been his dream since a little kid that number's been on his wall jack nicollas's poster has been there they are now friends jack Nicklaus, one of the greatest champions you'll ever meet we're more than happy to see Tiger take it all and surpass him, but now he's at 15. Jack Nicklaus is at 18. If Tiger looks good, and they say he golf expert say he's as good as he was before the the car accident 18 months ago, it could happen. Because in that sport, with an athlete like that, he could play till 50.